Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Rebecca Shute, housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle. And I'm Marissa Leck, real estate reporter at Houston Chronicle. And we're here today to talk about the Ashby High Rise. The Ashby. (laughs) And if those words mean nothing to you, I remember when I first moved to Houston in 2018, I asked my friend who's from Houston, what should I know if I'm here covering real estate? And he's like, you need to know about the Ashby high rise. He was like, that is the story. And basically it all started in 2007, which is when I graduated from high school and it's yeah. still going and I'm yeah. no longer a high schooler. That's so funny you said that because one of the residents opposing the project was like, where were you in 2007? I was like, I was graduating high school. Yeah, yeah, we both were because we're like the same age. Uh, and now we're both yeah, married we both or just, almost married. Yeah, we both <laughs> celebrated our birthdays because our birthdays are like right next to each other. I got a birthday card this week and it said, Welcome to your mid-30s. Thank you so much. And, I was like, and it was from someone younger, of course. I was like, okay. Thank you, thank you so uh, much. Yeah, yeah. Thank but you. The, the moral of the story is we both became adults. Like yeah. real grown-ass adults. I don't know yeah. if I'm allowed to say that. But <laughs> during the Ashby. It's been going on for ages. And, you know, Houston is famously like this city with no zoning. That's also the first thing people like to tell you when you're like, I'm covering real estate in this new city. They're like, oh, it's has no, no zoning. zoning. Get used to it. <laughs> but, so this apartment complex that tried to build in an area that wasn't zoned, it got all of its permits. Okay, how many years has it been? Since when? Since, since it started in 2007. Uh, uh, that would be f- f- 16. Oh, six, yeah, 16. 16 years. 16 years. Yeah, about. And it still hasn't been built. And the reason why is because even though, you know, it's laissez-faire, there are ways to impact the building process, as was, like, very, very clearly. This, this like, building almost came to, like, epitomize how, how there's, like, this soft zoning almost. Right, <laughs> I don't know. Right. How, how there are these, like, other mechanisms that can prevent a building from being built. And in this case, this high-rise was being built next to this neighborhood by like Rice University. This neighborhood has deed restrictions. It's actually like they're very strict deed restrictions. So when you go through it, it looks like, oh, all these like nice homes, these like oak lined trees. You know, some people say like they're the prettiest streets in all of Houston. And also like it's it's a neighborhood that is really old. It just celebrated its 100th anniversary this year, which is really old by Houston standards, not by other <laughs> not by other standards. But the lot sizes are really small, but the homes are worth millions of dollars. And there are all these restrictions on how big they can build. My friend knew someone who was like looking to buy in the neighborhood. 
And then uh, they got a text being like, oh, I saw you're looking at this house because this neighborhood has a reputation that like the homes are built like, yeah, basically the lots are so small that everyone knows their neighbor's business. And like someone had seen him go to the open house and had texted a friend and like the information got back wow. to him. And he was like, I'm not buying this neighborhood. But it's it's the Boulevard Oaks na- neighborhood, which is actually, I believe sections of it are historic, historic district. But this this particular lot where the apartment complex was proposed is, is just outside exactly. of it. Exactly. It's just nearby. So none of these rules apply. Like so the people there are living with all these strict rules. But right outside of their, you know, their little real protected bubble, there was this lot and they were gonna build this high rise and they revolted and, you know hired all these lawyers, they printed out all these signs, which uh, had these like cartoony pictures of uh, a high-rise building with like teeth and like like angry eyebrows and a nose like looking down. And um, I pulled up a picture because I remember people were dressing up like it for Halloween. Like here's a, you know, you can see someone is dressed up as like the monster of the high. Ashby High Rise for Halloween because it became, like I said, like a, a touchstone for all of these issues that people felt but um, didn't have such an example of. Like, for example, like in other neighborhoods, you know, like maybe, maybe a concrete crushing plant or even like a crematorium might set up next to your house. I remember there was a story where a crematorium set up in a oh, yeah. neighborhood and the ashes were like floating down on people as they're like lying by their pools. <laughs> and the thing is, there's no zoning. So like, so you, you can't stop them unless you just, like, hose them up legally, you know, like, unless you have a lot of resources and are just going to, like, kind of... They're protesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is... And using, yeah. using the courts to protest. Yeah, and that's another reason why this case got so much attention was because observers were like, well, the only reason why this is even an issue is because it's a rich neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, the houses are super nice, the people are well-to-do, and they had the resources. And interestingly, like, a lot of the opponents are, uh, you know, working in architecture. They're attorneys. They're engineers that actually live in the neighborhood. So these are, you know, professional service-type jobs. And that also makes them more of a threat to the developers because a lot of times they know what they're talking about, which is kind of you know, normally when a developer comes in, it's 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 not not always the case. Even just interviewing people for all of this, it's like, oh, uh, this, oh yeah, we just asked our neighbor to take a look at these site plans because like he does architecture like for a living or like, yeah. oh yeah, like yeah. I'm friend of a friend is an engineer. I, I guess that was another issue was this is also about class and who has the resources to oppose a project in Houston that they don't want built. A big part of it was protecting the character of the neighborhood because they had tried, the neighbors had worked so hard to preserve that charm. So there was concerns about just the fact that the proposal originally was 23 stories and that just seemed out of place in a neighborhood of mostly like low-rise, mid-rise buildings. Uh, It's predominantly single family, but there's also, there are commercial uses, but neighbors would prefer, I think, a single family or a smaller um, smaller residential development. And then, you know, people were worried about traffic, just like the general nuisance of having a tall building with lights and like the noise of construction. And they're worried about the nuisance and then that was going to affect their property values. And 
you know, there's just kind of a litany of, of concerns. Yeah, and I think, like, while on one side this is, like, a story of power and influence, on the other side it is, like, Houston does have a lot of these little single-family neighborhoods that are now, like, I mean, not downtown, but they're, like, solidly in the city. Like, the city, outside of the neighborhood, it's all high-rises, <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like they're really fighting to to sort of preserve what was once a suburb in the middle of the city, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I guess not a suburb would be the wrong word, but once it was like a... Like it felt like a neighborhood. Yeah, like a yeah. single-family style yeah. neighborhood. They're yeah. trying to preserve that in, in in the face of, like, densification. So that, that was the other side. Anyway, so this starts in 2007. And fast forward to 2016, right? Uh, is that when the lawsuits were all decided? There were a couple lawsuits, but yeah, the, the, the last one was in 2016. So nine years later, all the suits settled, and basically the Ashby high-rise wins, right? Like, the courts are like, yes, you can build. So why are we in 2023 and it still hasn't been built? I think there's two main reasons. We can talk about the economy if we flash back to 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. it was right after the a big oil bust. Yeah. So it, it just basically the neighbors fought so hard and prolonged this battle that the economic picture had changed in Houston. So that's kind of largely why it was thought the project was kind of well, put on hold originally. It wasn't in 2016. But the other thing that was happening, which... Who knows what type of influence this had, but in, in 2012, there's like this Houston Culture Map article about how the residents sent a letter to the developer. There's a quote from Chris Amandes, co-chair of the Stop Ashby High-Rise Task Force, and he says, we are making it crystal clear to people investing or financing this project, our opposition is not going to stop. And the letter has this list of things that they're telling the developers says, we will oppose you at every step of the permitting pro- process. And I'm just going to summarize because some of them. As soon as we identify your investors and lenders, we will appear at their places of business and their homes to demonstrate our opposition. We will appear at the places of business and homes of the contractors and other service providers who agree to work on your project and demonstrate our opposition. If anyone leases your space, we will appear at their places of business and their homes to demonstrate our opposition. Um, they were saying at first there was going to be a restaurant on the bottom floor. They were going to challenge the permits for the restaurant tenant. They were going to boycott the restaurant. And they were going to post unfavorable reviews of the restaurant on dining websites. So, you know, this was a little bit before the 2016 clearance. But I think this shows, like, both. It got personal. It got personal. 2012 is also a critical date in all of this because that is when the developers reached a settlement with the city. Yeah. uh, The first time, and they came up with this what's called the restrictive covenant, which are basically rules tied to what the developer was allowed to build. So they said, okay, we'll build fewer units, we'll build a few less stories, and then in this restrictive covenant document outlined like what was allowed here and what was not. And so basically what by the time that, even though, so that covenant was 2012, four years later, was when they actually, the developer actually got the okay to proceed, but they were still supposed to comply with this covenant. What ends up happening is 
the project doesn't get built and the site just kind of like sits there forever. Yeah. And and the developers kept or the owners of the property. So it's Buckhead Interest was the original developer, but it was really El Paso, an El Paso company called Hunt Companies that was like the owner. So they kept the permits active by basically just, you know, they were paying taxes or whatever, maybe move some stuff around. And so technically they kept their original permits active. But uh, everyone, you know, just kind of became forgotten or just like, I guess, assumed that it wasn't going to happen. When I came to the Houston Chronicle, yeah, like, they were like, this is a big story, and I was sort of, like, waiting for the next thing to happen. Mm. And, uh, like, shortly before I left for housing, you know, I got this tip, like, oh, there's unusual activity here, you know. And so I, I called the developer, and I was like, what's up? And they're like, well, we might have news soon, but, like, I'm not saying anything. This was, so, like, in 2020 then? Or, no, 2021. Oh, when was it? I mean, probably 2021, you know. Um, but... Yeah, this big story, it still wasn't over. And I was just like, yeah, I was covering real estate for three years and nothing happened with it. It didn't, mo- it didn't make the next step, you know. Okay, so I'll, tell about, I'll, I'll talk about how I entered it. Yeah. So, so I had heard about it too, mm-hmm. uh, but it was like this thing of like, oh, there was this one project and like they killed it. Like it was presented to me like, oh, yeah, like it's not going to happen. Like the, the neighbors were... Oh. Success, And then I got this, it was in 2022, so about a year ago, I got a pitch. Like, we're going to build this beautiful, beautiful high-rise apartment complex in this, uh, you know, well-to-do part of here. Uh-huh. They say nothing about Buckhead. There's this little address, and I started typing in the address, and I was like, wait, what? And I'm Googling it, and then I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Like, this is where it is? Like, and then, uh, yeah, so they um, kind of, like, had presented as a completely different project. And it took me, like, a second to realize the significance of what it was because it was a completely different name of the project. It was a different name of the firm. It was a different building height. But it was still a residential project proposed on this lot. So then when I actually interviewed the new developers, they're like, oh, yes, this is the same thing. It's the same idea, but it's different. So I feel like this is like the classic, like, <laughs> if you have a ship and you replace every plank on the ship, is it the same ship? You know, have you heard that? No. Or but, like, yeah, like if, because basically it has the same permits. Right. But they redesigned it and rebranded it and a lot of time has passed, you know. So right. like, and anyway, that's that's where we are. That's why we're talking about it today. This is the latest development, but... There was a bunch of bad blood, basically, between Buckhead and I think a lot of the neighbors. I, I'm not really sure why they're no longer the the front man on this, but that's just but, my I mean, hunch. So they they went it out was personal. Like yeah, yeah. So so Hunt Companies uh, went out and got a new kind of face for the development called Streetlights Residential, and they're um, a Dallas firm. They've done some really, uh, frankly, really nice projects in Dallas. Um, and I had been kind of aware from some of my previous reporting in Texas of some of their work. And, you know, it was, like, pretty successful. They have this one project, I think it's called the McKinney, I think, in Dallas. Uh, and it, it basically targets empty nesters, so people who were living in super nice big houses, but maybe they don't want the work of maintaining 
a house anymore and all the so you know but they still want to live around the neighborhood that they live in so instead they'll move into like a spacious apartment complex and kind of whatever lock and leave the average size is 2850 square feet which is like more than twice the size of my house (laughs) um we are not the target this is like like you think of like this high-rise apartment building but these are like all like spacious home sized right and basically like a single family home like in the air or whatever so so Streetlights has a new plan, and basically they want to take what they did in Dallas at this one super successful project and replicate it in Houston. So there's like, uh, I think there's about 100 fewer units in their plan. Um, it's Which they were saying is a concession to traffic. Right. Yeah, because, yeah, uh, you know, presumably with fewer residents, like there's going to be less people coming and going. And also they you know, wanted to try to market it, like, even to people in the neighborhood. Like, you know, these these are going to be people like you living here, essentially, it, both with the size of the lots and just the price point. Uh, yeah, so this is, in other words, like, this is not your standard, um, you know, drive-down Montrose. They stick 450 units, uh, you know, a bunch of millennials and Gen Zs and matchboxes or what shoebox size apartments or whatever. This is totally different. So it has fewer units. It's 20 stories. The original, original proposal was 23 stories. Then it went out to 21. Now it's 20. So it's a little bit shorter. I think the parking garage is also shorter. Yeah, it went from five five levels to three levels. Yeah. So So there were actually material changes in the project that they thought would make it better. And the other thing is, there's no retail component, right? Oh, yeah. That's another huge thing to, to minimize the traffic, you know. Basically, Streetlights applied for, I think it's just like a revision to the permits, like saying this is our new plan. Dear City of Houston, does this comply with the restrictive covenants that were granted to the project back in 2012? Is this, is this, does this adhere to what the city previously said could be built here? So that was, like, back in May, and then, like, they were going to break ground in fall 2022, and then it just, like, didn't happen. I was, like, wondering, and I had it on my list, like, one of those things, like, I really need to follow up on that. I really need it, but then I just, you know, a bunch of other things came to play. And then some neighbors contacted me, uh, you know, towards the beginning of the year, and they're, like, stuff's going on. You should look into this. Um, And anyway, so I started, like, talking to the developers, talking to neighbors, and then the city informed me that they did approve of uh, some permits for site work and um, foundation work. So basically, like, preparing the ground for a high-rise structure to be built. Now, the city hasn't, as of, uh, you know, it's mid-March right now, the city hasn't approved of uh, actual, like, vertical construction. Um, but basically, they, they have, they could feasibly start uh, some of the work and and streetlights has said they want to do it like in early April, like April first or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but the 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 problem is that that um, a lot of the neighbors are not actually convinced yet of the project, or they still have some concerns. So yes, this is what I really wanted to hear. Is what did people say? What was the reaction? What did neighbors say? Okay, so I guess it's important to realize that there are uh, there are official civic 
groups, mm-hmm. kind of like neighborhood associations. There's the Boulevard Oaks and the Southampton Civic Clubs, I think is their name. So they're technically, like, they can't actually really stop the project. Um, and they are trying to work with the developer in a more, like, collaborative fashion to basically minimize the impacts of construction, make sure that Streetlights is, you know, doing what it said it was going to do to try to uh, minimize the impacts. And, you know, they have, apparently, they've given them some, uh, you know, feedback in terms of questions that they have had, like, oh, what's going to happen with trees? Will trees get knocked down if there's traffic diverted onto these different streets? And what are you going to do about noise? And, you know, things like that. Uh, that Streetlights has essentially responded to, as far as I've heard from those civic clubs, like they're kind of like, you know, sort of begrudgingly going along with it because they have to. But but so far, it seems like Streetlights has been receptive um, to those civic clubs. However, there's other neighbors that are like, wait, 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 we're still not cool with this, like kind of more of an ad hoc group. But they're, they're not... Um, you have to realize that some of the neighbors, you know, were involved in lawsuits, right? Like, and the, there's only so much they can do. So, but then there's a lot of neighbors that weren't actually listed on lawsuits. Um, so there's a bunch of kind of like an ad hoc group of people that have been organizing against it. Uh, you know, that um, it's very likely they'll be asking the city to revoke any of the permit approvals. Um, they've been sending letters to the city, meeting with city councils. Yeah, and they've they've hired some attorney. Um, and so, yeah, they, they've been definitely working to... Gearing up for a fight. Yeah, gearing up for a fight. Although there's not, at, at the time of this recording, there's not a lawsuit. Um, and I don't know if there will be. Do you have a feel for, like, the scale of the opposition now compared to previously? Like, is it, does it seem smaller? I don't know if you can... I don't really know since I wasn't here. I will say that when you drive near the site, there are signs everywhere, like anti. Again, did they revive the classic sign with the monster building? They still have a monster building. There's a different slogan. Because apparently some people actually just kept their old signs (laughs) and then reused it. Um, And then there was, there's another one too that I'm, but but yeah, if you go around the streets, there's still a lot of signs. and, And so I don't know if people are, um, I, you know, so far I haven't heard of, like, any major, like, protest, but I also don't know if everyone's happy. I mean, maybe some people are more neutral or, you know, resigned that this is going to happen. Um, so it's hard to kind of tell, I guess, like, until there's a kind of a lawsuit or something like that, like, if this is going to have more material consequences. Because, I mean, the city is like, you know, what what can we do if the developer is following the rules, you know, the main bone of contention is, okay, well, other than the fact that people just, uh, some residents still just don't want this high-rise to be built, uh, you know, they, they just think that the scale of a big building on this relatively small parcel is not appropriate, um, and they just don't want that kind of development. Uh, there's also concerns that people have still about, you know, how is this going to affect the foundation of the surrounding properties? Is this going to cause, like, my house to settle or something? Um, and, you know, w- what's going to happen with, like, a, another concern uh, with wind? Because, and this was something that um, the engineer, Kalakcho, uh, recommended uh, streetlights look at, was basically doing the wind tunnel survey. Because when you have a high-rise, it changes the wind climate around 
the structures around it, um, particularly when there's a difference in height. Uh, like if there's a super tall building and then like a bunch of short building, like what would happen in a hurricane, uh, you know, causing like debris, stuff to fly around. Uh, so there's questions about that, um, which, you know, Streetlights said it's you know going to be monitoring, trying to monitor the foundations around the properties. Um, Streetlights has done its own like um, calculations in terms of the wind, but it hasn't done like a formal wind tunnel survey. So yeah, they still have concerns about that. But then the, their biggest kind of, um, the, there's a, a couple bones of contention. Um, one is around, um, okay, so the question is, does this new plan with streetlights, and this is where I think it is interesting and applies to other, could apply to other like real estate projects, is, is the project the same or is it different? This is what I was talking about with the yes. ship thing. Yeah. Because... <laughs> And and because if it's different enough, then that means that they would have to restart their permitting process and reapply for permits. If it's the same, if it's same enough, then they could proceed. Um, but what the neighbors are saying is that, you know, basically streetlights is like trying to argue both ways. They're trying to say, oh, it's the same enough where you, we don't need a new permit. We just need like this little, you know, some provisions. It's it's same so that we don't need a new one, but it's different because we have less, and so you shouldn't be mad at us. We have less units, so that that's I guess sort of the neighbor's bone of contention with that um, idea. And then they're they're really like um, the neighbors are working or the residents are working with limited information. Uh, they've gotten quite a bit of information, but they don't know everything. But based on what they've seen, they um, are are saying that the there's two things. Like one it would be the buffering. Around yeah, so the reason the site, why yeah. whether or not they it is the same or different matters is because if it is different and they had to get new permits, the rules have changed since 2007. Um, right. So yeah. their suspicion is that the rules have changed in a way that maybe would make it hard for this project to go forward. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The thing that comes up here is something called uh, te- Texas Vested Rights Law or grandfathering. So basically, when you have a real estate, this this law is on the book in Texas. When you apply for a permit, you're supposed to only be held responsible for the rules and regulations that were in place at the time that you applied. And the idea of this is that so like stuff isn't changing in the middle. Like it would just make it so hard and impossible really to plan. Like if you had to redesign a project like in the middle. Of permitting, it, it, like the projects wouldn't even be like you just couldn't even get financing for that. Like it just and would like, be so unpredictable. Right now, permits take months to go through. You know, to get approved. If you like, basically, I don't know if it would be doubling or, but if basically you're like, hey, all the ones you're working on, you have to start from scratch. I feel like it would take like a year for permits to get approved in years that like there were any changes. You know what I mean? Like. The planning department doesn't have that much staff either. Right. So there's a reason why this grandfathering rule exists. But what what um, I think that is interesting about this is what happens in the case when a project is proposed and then still isn't built like over a decade later. Years. So probably the biggest change affecting real estate development in Houston in the last decade was Hurricane Harvey. You know, Hurricane Harvey exposed so much that was wrong about Houston development, so much so that the city 
introduced some ordinances around flooding prevention, you know, where the, what, what can be built in the floodplain and what elevation it is. Now it does appear that there are exemptions in this grandfathering state law or in this vested rights law that would require developers to still follow updated guidelines or rules around flood prevention or around safety and anything that would affect like the, the imminent, you know, danger or safety of the property. So theoretically that that would be a good thing in terms of ensuring the safety of development. Uh, but that's just kind of an example of how much has changed over the past decade, that there's a lot to parse through and kind of figure out, okay, what parts of projects are vested and are there any rules like safety related rules that would impact, uh, you know, what is grandfathered and what is not. But the, the thing that would that residents have kind of clung on to that has changed um, are the rules around buffering, which is spacing between the actual buildings. So they want more like uh, this is a very recent change, right? Well, this actually, is, there was no? two. Okay, so there was one like actually right around when the high rise um, oh, was. And a, the, I've heard that basically the all the controversy around the original Ash, Ashby is. The, the impetus for this buffering. Yeah, ordinance. and to explain buffering, it's like you have a short buildings next to a tall building. How, you know, like right now or before it was sort of like how far could you be from the property line? But they're like saying like, oh, if you're going to be like so tall next to a short building, there should be like a minimum. Like we should increase the distance between, between the buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how, how close the tall building can be to the short buildings. Right. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this no, no, totally. No, that's, no, that's it. That's yeah. it. And it depends on the size of the street that you're on. So they have, the city has something called collector streets and local streets. And I probably should know the difference, but I don't off the top of my head. But basically, if you're on one version of the street, then you need 30 space, 30 feet of space. Another is 40 feet. So that was um, basically this law was introduced. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of all this neighborhood rankling early on back in, you know, 2013 and around there is is what kind of introduced this original ordinance. Um, and then also recently that ordinance was updated to encompass um, multifamily properties. So basically if you have a high rise next to a single family property or a multifamily now, I believe, um, like it was literally changed in February 2023. Yeah, so basically this buffering ordinance has now changed twice since... Um, you know, since they originally reached that settlement with the city. Um, and so the residents are saying that basically if this project, it was built, if they were proposing it today, they wouldn't be able to build it because the site is too small to accommodate the buffering needed in the building. Or they would have to seriously redesign the project in some way. Um, so I was going to play, I don't and know. Oh, is that for sure? We aren't sure, right? What? If that is the case. Is that just a suspicion? Could it be or? built? Yeah, with the I think that's a, I think that's sure. a, oh, um, the problem is, is that the restrictive covenant, this is like getting a little bit into the nitty gritty, but the, uh, the restrictive covenant also required the developers to build a pedestrian plaza. So like a big um, little plaza. So this was plaza. one of the first concessions. Yeah. So the problem is the size of the pedestrian plaza they want, like takes up a certain amount of room in the site that then affects how much buffering they can do around the other sides. Mm. 
of the building. So this is like a certain thing. Like if they had to get new permits, the project as proposed is scrapped. I no, I don't. We I wouldn't say sure. it's this for is sure. A suspicion. But yeah, yeah, this is a suspicion. Is that or they they would have to seriously redesign it? Yeah, you know. Oh, that's what I mean. As proposed, per, yeah, yeah. Pr- probably reduce the pedestrian plaza or something. So here's a clip from one resident. His name's Mac Fowler, and he lives on. I think he lives on North Boulevard, which is a beautiful street. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll play this just to get like an idea of how the neighbors view this grandfathering rule. They're taking advantage of a loophole. A huge Mm. loophole. And the loophole is that they are building a project that could not be built today because the setback would be 30 feet. That's my understanding. And that would further diminish the footprint of the project on that site. But having said that, again, I haven't seen the source documents, but as I understand it, the project as presented to the city for permitting, that is to say the drawings, don't strictly adhere to the, the, the agreement that was reached in 2012. So, so basically he's saying um, they're using a loophole to, to build this project as it is now, is, is his view. And I think, um, I think a lot of people's views um, in that you know, the, pro- the world has changed since 2007 basically, is what they're they're saying. In part because they changed the world. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, so so streetlights, obviously, you know, they say that they're following the restrictive covenant, the previous settlement agreement, like to a T, um, which the neighbors also argue that they aren't. Um, The neighbors are saying that the, the... pedestrian plaza proposed in the streetlight proposal. So in the new proposal, which I guess is called the Langley. So in the Langley, the newer one, um, the sides of the pedestrian plaza, this neighbors are saying it's too small. So therefore your project is not complying with the restrictive covenant because the pedestrian plaza is too small among like other things. Um, and then streetlights is like, no, we're exactly, we're doing exactly the size that, you know, you previously agreed upon we're following the restrictive covenant, and you know we should be able to build this project without having to restart our permitting. So, so that's kind of the and then um, streetlights. I guess they um, continue to say. I was going to play a clip from them. Um, you know, like this isn't the same. That this isn't like the same as having any old multifamily apartment. And it's like we're trying to do a really nice job. So here's like a little clip from Stephen Meek. But some also don't like looking at that brown field that looks like a black eye right at the entry of a beautiful neighborhood. I can't imagine anyone would like that. To stay there. So what we're proposing is bringing something beautiful and something that's architecturally significant and mm. something that actually, in an ironical way, a number of neighbors that live in this neighborhood, they decide to sell and they don't want to move away from all the conveniences and the walkability of it location they're gonna live here so yeah Stephen, that's basically i'm saying well what do you want do you want this like empty gross brownfield like or would you want like a a beautiful building that you'll probably want to live in <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so i mean <laughs> his, yeah his view Stephen meek is like you know what we're working as hard as we can with the neighbors we're following the the city's the earlier settlement 
And there's just going to be people that oppose this. Like, I'm not going to win over everyone is kind of his attitude, you know. And and over time, they'll grow to accept it. And they'll see that we do put out a, a beautiful product, you know. And so that's kind of like their view. Like, they're trying their best to, you know, answer questions and to follow. But, you know, they they, they just realize, like, okay, there's always going to be opponents to this. And we just got to proceed. Yeah. This also makes me think of the proposed ordinance for conservation districts, which, like you said, wouldn't wouldn't apply to existing permits, but um, they are trying to make it possible, to make it easier to put restrictions on certain areas if, yeah. if over half the residents agree, which I could easily imagine here, except for the fact that the permit has already been approved. Oh, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, if the conservative district is is approved, this could be, a, in the future, a tool, um, the conservation district, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I imagine so. I need to look at the fine print. But. And so I guess, like, all of this is to say, it kind of goes back to a classic Houston question of, like, how do you protect the character of an area in a, in a place where there's really lax zoning? Like, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. You know, and um, kind of, like, what's our goal here, like, as a city? Do we want to be easy for development? Or do we do we uh, prioritize preservation? Yeah. You know, or is there a, a balance of both? Because I think when you talk to maybe you've heard this from sources, when you talk to sources that aren't in Houston, especially in the residential world, they're like, "Oh my God, Houston's so much better in terms of zoning, and that really helps with affordability because it's easier to develop." Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just interviewing a Zillow economist last week, and she was like, you know, the problem with affordability in a lot of places is zoning. And, like, Houston, the fact that you have— And specifically single-family zoning. Zoning that makes it hard for, den- for density. density. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and ironically, like, Mac Fowler is, like, very um, involved in— he's been very involved in affordable housing— He's like, I'm not anti-development. A lot of the people will say, I'm not anti-development. I'm for appropriate development. One thing is like preservation versus development. And the other one is where, you know, like, because like I said, that was, I think one thing that was highlighted by this is there, there are other neighborhoods that have things going on that they really question, like, should a motorcycle repair shop open where my neighbor's house used to be? Like, should, should this lot Next to, like, in a neighborhood of single-family homes, we used to park 16-wheelers, 18-wheelers, what are they called? <laughs> Semis? That's that's almost the same as this question, you know? Like, yeah. If they're I, allowed to, but should they, you know? And, and I think also, like, if a neighborhood that has all these resources and all these, like, super smart professionals can't stop a project they don't want, then who can? <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, we don't know yet. Yeah. They bought at least 16 years, and we'll see how things go. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Either in a couple yeah. of weeks we're going to be talking about it breaking ground finally. or I mean, there have been cases where, you know, people, um, I think it was a project in Chicago that my editor, Brian, was like, look at this pit in the ground. Like, they opened a pit, and then nothing happened. Stopped. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what's going to I'm like, that would potentially be worse <laughs> than having just, like, a field you know, so, uh, you know, obviously we'll be paying close attention to what happens. But I, I think that the the story is it's not just about the Langley or the Ashby. And, and it's not about, like, 
a bunch of NIMBYs or something. You know, it's about this like eternal existential crisis <laughs> in Houston development. And, Everywhere, but that takes yeah. a unique form in Houston because right. of this like professed lack of zoning. Yeah. All right. Well, we will keep you posted, obviously. Uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you want to send an idea for an episode or just say hi, you can reach us at on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at R-A Schutz, R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. And, and I'm at Marissa Luck 7 And if you go to our show notes at HoustonChronicle.com slash looped in, we'll have some of the articles we talked about, um, some old pictures, of the costumes, of the old protest signs, of the new protest signs, the renderings for the new building. You can check it all out there. Yeah, thank you for listening, for, for chatting with me going down memory lane. Or oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thanks for doing the reporting. I'm sad nothing developed on this subject while I was a real estate reporter, <laughs> but it will be interesting to see what happens. Thanks to our print editors, Brian Rausch and Gabby Banks. Thank you to Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Kimonos, for the theme music. And to our producer, Scott Kingsley. If you like this episode, please do us a favor and share it with a friend. It helps us in getting our real estate reporting out there so more people can know what's going on in Houston. And thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time. <laughs>